Welcome back to Concrete Thought. Hope you're doing well. So today's episode and the next will be about the topic of free healthcare. It's been a heavily debated topic in a lot of places, especially especially the US, obviously. So I thought that we would get into that hellhole of entangled web of arguments, try to sort things out a bit and try to take some conservative arguments at their merit and see if they actually have legs to stand on or not. This episode is going to be a bit philosophical and I'm, I kind of am doing that deliberately because the philosophical underpinning of how you go about healthcare is important because it is the guide that policies will be derived from. The next episode, however, will be purely economical, which is too much fun for me to be honest. If you don't know, I have a bachelor's degree in economics, just graduated July of this year, 2018. And to be honest, I actually did enjoy studying economics. It's some fun shit for me. So this is why I dedicated a whole episode to the economic aspect of whether healthcare should be socialized or a free market, all with studies and academic backing to whichever argument, either, you know, conservative, liberal, and so on. Now, I guess I have to state my position on the whole issue first. I'm heavily leaning and advocating for both socialized free healthcare and education. I think that these two markets should not have a for-profit philosophical underpinning as they are too related to social issues and progress and I guess are too related to communal and societal development to just leave them to for-profit institutes to handle them on their own. The idea of a free market does not account for externalities and healthcare and education are some of the biggest markets rife with externalities so for me it's more efficient and more helpful for society to actually have them socialized rather than have them open for market failures and let money be the sole determining factor of getting adequate healthcare or education because at the end both of them both of these markets are unbelievably connected to a notion of equality of opportunity there are a lot of economic terms in here so leave those aside we'll get to them next episode but for now let's jump into the philosophical slash ethical arguments of why a country should or should not have socialized healthcare now let's take a look at some of the conservative or right-wing arguments of why healthcare should not be a socialized system the first argument is that access to healthcare is not a right nobody has the right to get healthcare it's not comparable to the right of for example owning private property or the right to life or free speech. These are the rights given by the American constitution. And to understand why, you need to understand what is the difference between negative rights and positive ones. A negative right is a right you have because it's endowed to you by God or nature or the human condition. These are the rights that are given to Americans in the constitution. You live so you have the right to life you have thoughts and so you have the right to express them and so on. But I don't think that being endowed by nature or the human condition is the defining factor. But the defining factor here is that these rights do not come at the expense of anybody else's rights. This is the definition of negative rights. Healthcare, on the other hand, if it was to be considered a right, is not a negative right. Because to achieve free healthcare, you have to do it via taxes and this comes at another person's expense more accurately at the expense of their negative right to the product of their own labor. This is the argument that was presented in Stephen Crowder's Socialism is Immoral, Changed My Mind segment. 
in which I think we can all agree that that kid Yusuf definitely won the debate against Crowder. And it is the argument that many times is presented against socialism and the redistribution of income to achieve less inequality in society. The thing is, it is a correct argument to counter the argument of people have the right to healthcare and if you don't treat it as a right, you're an immoral son of a bitch and shame on you. I, you know, for me, I 100% disagree with the methodology of some people on the left when they just attribute socialized healthcare to being a good person. Because, first off, their argument makes a case to the fact that society has an obligation to help those in need, but makes it so poorly that it alienates people who actually agree with the premise by providing them with an ultimatum. Secondly, it doesn't make the case for socialized healthcare via taxes, it makes the case for helping those in need. That's it. In which anyone who's opposed socialized healthcare would just jump into charity rather than compulsory taxation. You can see that when someone heavily religious as Ben Shapiro says that the constitution was originally written for religious people and when Steven Crowder in a video of his says that statistically being conservative slash religious is a good indicator of giving to charity. These arguments are not in any way sound arguments but you've opened the way for them to make these arguments based on the either socialized healthcare or immorality without giving the context in which socialized healthcare as a specific response to helping people in need is the correct way. With that said, I don't actually agree with the conservative argument that socialization of certain markets via redistribution of income is inherently immoral. But instead of actually giving an ultimatum of either being moral or not, you can go at it from a lot of different ways. One argument that's my own personal argument is that their perspective depends on having a starting point of defining what the right is first and then basing the obligation of protecting the right on it. So, for example, killing is a crime because as you have the right to life, other humans have it too and so it's now protected by law. But why can't the starting point be the obligation? My point here is that if you have an obligation to the betterment of your society, then treating healthcare and education as if they are a right achieves that goal. It betters the society economically as of course the more healthy and educated the society is, the more productive it is, it also causes the society to be more stable. And the thing is, as Yusuf said in the debate against Crowder, this libertarian principle of non-aggression is non-feasible. And he is right, it's unrealistic. Research time and time again shows the link between poverty and inequality on one side and crime on the other. I'll link some studies for you to look at in this in the description. And the, the other thing is you're gonna pay more taxes either way because when the society is left to destabilize due to inequality and poverty, this will reflect on the middle class and above as more taxes to fund the police force that you would have to rely on to protect you from rising threats, in which case you actually open the playing field for police brutality, which will cause more crime, will open it for the government misusing the police force for a police state and the atrocities are endless. And again, we'll keep reflecting on you more and more in terms of taxes to fund that growing police presence. Like holy fuck did you not learn anything from the war on drugs? And yeah, I almost forgot that the US has private prisons. Do I need to really explain how would that affect the situation? You don't solve a problem by only suppressing it, you solve it by identifying and addressing the cause. 
it is a better approach for you as an individual for the protection of your negative rights and for society to develop and keep moving forward if you have socialized healthcare and socialized education. At least the additional taxes will be paid in a stable and growing society. You know, you'll be both fulfilling your obligation to your community and your society by both passive approaches as to not make it deteriorate further and active approaches by pushing it forward. And actually, the additional taxes in economic terms at least will be internalizing positive externalities that you and your whole country will enjoy by having free access to both education and health rather than internalizing negative externalities caused by the growing inequality, poverty, lack of means for poor people to get out of this horrid situation, which will consequently cause mistrust in the government, growing crime rates, heavily funded police force, and so on. I never really got the question that Crowder asked in the debate, why should I pay for Timmy's healthcare? Like, I don't know, because if Timmy gets leukemia at 14 and doesn't have access to healthcare because his parents can't afford it, then economically speaking, Timmy's a wasted resource, the amount of taxes and consumption that Timmy would have engaged in, if he didn't die is wasted, his productivity when he joins the workforce is wasted, his parents and all of his network would have a drop in productivity when he dies, growing resentment for society will happen within these affected networks, causing crimes to spike, or actually if his parents go out of their way to fund his treatments, they will go bankrupt and that will cause them not to send him to education when he grows up, which will limit him to a low-paying job, and when he has kids, they will inherit this poverty, and the cycle will continue, and again, more resentment, and you get the idea. The amount of benefits that you get as an individual from, the, from living in, in a healthy and well-educated society where people have equal opportunities for these two things specifically is unimaginably huge, and I think that that's enough to justify you paying higher taxes for that to happen. By the way, be careful with the causal link between poverty and crime, because poverty is not a direct cause for crime per se, as is highlighted by the paper done by Webster and Kingston, titled Poverty and Crime Review in May 2015, which I'll link in the description as well. But instead, the conditions linked with poverty and are caused by poverty slash rising inequality are heavily connected and have a causal link with crime rates. I'm kind of anticipating criticism here, so here you go. One argument that is often made that kind of annoys me, really, is that of why should someone take what I've earned away or why should the government come in and tax me on what I've earned and deserved, which Steven Crowder also makes in the use of debate. And it annoys me because it's not acknowledging of the randomness of life. First off, it becomes heavily disputable once you add in a generation in the mix. I don't know if Steven has kids, I don't think that he does. Then I guess when he does have kids, did his kids deserve or earn any of the things that their father earned? Should they inherit whatever wealth and advantages that they have never worked a day in their life for? The answer is no, they were just lucky enough to have such a well-off father and this echoes in low-income households as well. Did any of the kids born in bad circumstances where their parents can't afford expensive yet life or death treatments or can't afford adequate education that will give their children a chance to break out of the poor cycle? Did any of them deserve these kind of circumstances? The answer is also no. Then 
Why should Steven's kids enjoy how undeservingly lucky they got, while poor kids have to suffer from how undeservingly unlucky they are? You know, do you see why inequality breeds resentment? Plus, how much of Steven's or anybody else's success is actually attributable to their hard work and dedication? Life isn't that simple. And in the words of the great and all-powerful Joe Rogan, you got lucky, bitch. The goal to have equal opportunity is to bypass as much of life's shittiness by offering a chance for everyone, no matter how lucky or unlucky they are, to be solely judged by what matters most, which is their competence. Offering free education doesn't guarantee success, but tying education to how much money you got is a recipe for people who don't have money, no matter how qualified and competent they are, to remain stuck in a cycle of poverty and shitty circumstances that their kids will definitely keep inheriting. This is by no means, by the way, an argument against the lucky or the rich. I definitely got lucky in my life because of the amazing family I was born into. I was lucky to be born middle class. I was lucky to get the education that I got, no matter the bit of a struggle it got my family into. I was lucky in a lot of aspects that I definitely found myself into. But my argument is that as we acknowledge how good of a hand life has dealt us, life also deals shitty fucking hands that people don't really deserve to get. Let's put these people in a situation where they're only judged by how competent and hardworking they are, rather than leaving it to randomness and how lucky or unlucky you get with the hand life has dealt you, which eventually has nothing to do with how competent and hardworking you are. I guess the criticism on that would be the one that I heard Ben Shapiro make once, which was student loans exist and you have no trouble securing loans for jobs that pay a lot like being a doctor or a lawyer. Now I don't really know how student loans work in the US, if it is actually the case that if you come from a really poor background you can get these loans, but even if that's the case, the thing is, is that relying on student loans ties these jobs with money which doesn't judge people by their competence as well. You can have a poor person take a massive loan that would take a lifetime to repay just because that major is the only major that would give him that loan. It is an inefficient distribution of human resources because again, it isn't judging him on his competence. This is kind of a surefire way to get an oversaturated market of mediocre doctors and lawyers. What if that certain someone would have been a better physicist or economist or political scientist, he could have been very good at those fields but again was hindered by money. And student loans would not help him at that point because the chance that you get a high paying job from these majors is definitely less likely than being a doctor or a lawyer. Maybe I'm wrong on that but I think that again it deviates from judging people on their competence levels which is ultimately inefficient for society in terms of distributing human resources. And while we're talking about Ben Shapiro, he made an argument while he was on that thing of a segment that Steven Crowder does where Steven argues as a leftist, which he poorly does in my opinion. The argument Ben made was an answer to poor kids inheriting their parents' struggles. I guess then we should talk about if you should have kids, I think is what he said. And Crowder jokingly says, you know, Ben Shapiro arguing for eugenics here and of course that's sarcasm Ben Shapiro didn't actually argue for eugenics but am I the only one who sees how the argument and eugenics relate? Plus it's an unbelievably bad argument to make. You not only tie 
healthcare and education to money, you tied the most basic and fundamental human urge to have a family and even to have sex, which even with access to contraception might lead to having kids, you tied all of that to having money. This isn't a surefire way to growing resentment and outright rage that will destabilize society, of course. I don't know what is. I know this episode is stretching here, but one more argument I want to address that I find absolutely weird and has no backing whatsoever. The argument that Norway and countries which have socialized healthcare and education can achieve that because they're ethnically or culturally homogenous, something that the US doesn't enjoy, so fuck you leftists, it just can't happen. Let's take that weird argument on its merits here. First, the only way that if you're lacking ethnic or cultural homogeneity ties to socialized healthcare or education is only if a certain group of people don't think that another group of people should have free access to socialized healthcare or education. In which case you have a problem of discrimination that you should address, which would actually make the case towards all access to education so you can grow the sense of community from a young age and unite people under the umbrella of the society or the country rather than their ethnic identity. Another thing is that it infers a causal link between homogeneity and social socialized healthcare. By the way, I know that I'm pronouncing homogeneity wrong, but you know, fuck it. This causal link isn't really empirically demonstrated. Just because some countries with successful socialized healthcare or education have a high level of ethnic or cultural homogeneity doesn't mean that the success of their socialized system has to do with that said homogeneity. The third thing is not all places with the successful socialized healthcare or education have an unbelievably high level of ethnic homogeneity that surpasses the US. Just as Michael Brooks from the Majority Report once said, Sweden is 85% white while the US is 77% white. Those 8% aren't really the breaking point. And if they are, I need evidence. I need empirical evidence that shows me that they are. I really fail to see the link between ethnic homogeneity and socialized healthcare or education. And simply pointing to a correlation between these two in some countries, not all, is not enough to say that just because that is lacking to a certain extent in the US, it would doom any effort to socialize these two specific markets. Now, I guess what's left is the argument of why socialized healthcare is better than charity. We can, I guess, remedy all of that by just charity to the poor instead of having the government tax people unwillingly to achieve uh, socialized healthcare and education. Now, I think I answered that extensively in this episode that taxation is actually better and not morally fucked. But I'll leave that argument of why socialized healthcare is much better than charity to the next episode because it has to do with which one is more efficient and achieves the best result, which is an economic argument rather than a philosophical slash ethical one. And spoiler alert here, socialized healthcare and education are much more efficient than charity, but let's leave that in the episode where we can address it in more details. So here you go, the end of this quite long episode. Again, let me know what you think. I've linked the podcast's social media accounts in the description. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Speaker, YouTube, 
or whatever app you're using to listen to this episode so you don't miss out on future stuff and finally consider becoming a patron and supporting this podcast i'll link the patreon page in the description as well see you next tuesday goodbye